Welcome to Perfectly Imperfect, a podcast on mental health for folks of color. I'm your host, John Zell Anderson, licensed professional counselor. I'm the owner of Panoramic Counseling, where I specialize in treating teens and young adults in Richmond, Virginia, and throughout the Commonwealth of Virginia through online counseling. Let's get into the show. All right, everyone. Today, I'm really excited to speak with Dr. Lakeisha Roney um, on the topic of Black feminism. Uh, Just a little bit about Dr. Roney. She is a uh, psychotherapist. Uh, She has her own private practice called Inner Self Counseling and Consulting, LLC. She's also the clinical director at a community-based mental health agency. Uh, She teaches at the college level, and she is the mother to a five-year-old growing boy. Um, So that's my little um, intro for you, Dr. Roney. Um, Fill in some of the blanks, because you are always busy. (laughs) You're always doing something. I I am always busy, um, but I still try to carve out time for family, friends, and just time for me, um, even though it's hard and um, all the work that we do. But um, I, like you mentioned, I'm private practice owner, um, educator, preceptor for interns, which I have enjoyed. I have a few interns that I'm precepting for um, this year, uh, master's level students in clinical mental health counseling. And I'm also preceptor for a uh, nurse practitioner student who is um, pursuing her certification in psychiatric nurse practitioning. We definitely need um, more of those psychiatric nurse practitioners. Exactly. So it's a a student that's being supervised by myself and the psychiatrist where I work. Okay. Um, So she's able to get the counseling experience and the prescribing experience in one setting. And I'm also supervising a um, student in the clinical mental health um, department that is a health brigade where you did your volunteer work during your residency. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I still have that that connection with um, the nonprofit, which I really enjoy. That's awesome. I decided to do a little bit more work for my private practice recently. I'm feeling drawn to go back and do some more stuff under my practice where I'm able to be a lot more flexible and be available for consultation work and training. Definitely. Well, I was, as I was preparing for this, I, it just dawned on me that this is our third time, I believe, maybe more, that we've kind of collaborated on um, something uh, mental health related. I remember when I first started my practice, we did a kind of interview Uh, on uh, what it's like to be the parent of a child with autism. Uh, Mm -hmm. And then I believe the last time we collaborated, it was a vlog on basically the intersection of mental health and racism. It was in the middle of everything going on last year. Um, Yeah. So this time... Um, I was really excited when you emailed me because I had like sent you some kind of generic topics um, and you just happened to do a little footnote and said, I can talk all day about black feminism. And then as I saw that, I'm like, I mean, 
I can kind of put together like a, a rough definition of what that must mean, but I had no clue. Um, so I actually had to do some research to, to get ready for this, and I'm excited to hear what you have to say. Um, I'm excited to hear your thoughts after you've done the research. I will do my best to sound like I know what I'm talking about. Um, but as with anything, you know, we're all, it, it's a learning process. So, yeah. Okay. Well, the links to the other things we've done together, I'll definitely put it in the show notes so that people can find that. Um, so to get started, um, how about you give the listeners and myself a working definition um, in layman's terms of what black feminism is? Um, I can speak for my perception of what black feminism is and kind of from the perspective of a black woman who was not always a feminist. Okay. Um, I, I rejected um, what feminist and feminism was for the most of my life because I only knew feminism from the perspective of a white female perspective mm-hmm. until I was introduced to black feminism work and that perspective. So um, the way I looked at it was man-hating, not really acknowledging the black female experience, and denying how class, culture, um, and all of these other intersectionality issues, maybe uh, sexual orientation, gender identity, and all of these other issues related to how you are in the world as a woman. And I always felt that white feminism denied that or rejected it or just ignored it. So to me, as I began to um, become more knowledgeable about black feminism and read more of black feminist work of my favorite black feminist, who is Bell Hooks, um, I began to identify with the philosophy of making sure that we understand how systems impact the whole of people. So black feminism means understanding how white supremacy works in this world Mm -hmm. and how patriarchy works in this world to oppress all of those individuals who are seen as less than. So white supremacy seeks to oppress all women, that means black and white women, (laughs) Um, men that are not white, so that means black men, all men of color, and seeks to oppress all children. Hmm. That's a great and working also, definition. <laughs> and also seeks to oppress any individual who white men sees as less than them or weaker than them. So that means the LGBT community mm-hmm. or trans community. So that's lots of groups of individuals. And as I was looking through... Um you know, some articles and things to kind of prepare, uh, and you touched on this a second ago, the term intersectionality uh, was, it came up a lot. And from my understanding, it's the crossroads of 
different um, elements that I won't say that makes you a minority because being a woman isn't necessarily there's not less women than there are men, but um, there there's a there's a intersection of dynamics, right? So women, mm-hmm. you know, ha- the, women in this country face certain challenges because of patriarchy, right? Um, But then on top of that, you have the experience of being a person of color. So Mm -hmm. the the intersectionality is like two things that are could be separate challenges, but they run into each other and they exist separately, but they also exist together. Can you give us like a little bit more of a definition of intersectionality? Yes, most definitely. And the more marginalized the individual is, then they're more crossroads. So if there's a woman who is is a black female who is also a lesbian, who is poor, who mm. is not educated, there's more stigma there. There's more marginalization. <clears throat> Definitely. Um, and so one of the things I, I read quite a few articles, but there was one that really concisely put it very well that I'm going to share it um, it was an article from medium but it didn't it was like produced by like a publication it didn't give a specific author but the and this is a quote so a major problem with feminism is that it has his, historically excluded black women from the conversation and ignored the multiple levels of oppression that these women face black feminism recognizes the multidimensional aspect of oppression, arguing that sexism, racism, and class oppression are related through intersectionality. Black feminism is a core component of our struggle against oppression and domination, and we need to remember that this is not a black woman's issue. Black feminism is for everyone. It's empowering and liberating. And then they yeah. went on to say, decolonize all things, which I support. Yeah. <clears throat> I'm sorry, my allergies are kind of bothering me, so I'm kind of have this little cough. But that's yeah, okay. decolonizing everything. And and I think that's been, um, I guess, a bad rep that, that feminism has gotten, but also black feminism has gotten. It's like the thing that, you know, it, it's man-hating, but it's not. It's, it's, we're fighting for the rights of everyone, but we have to do it together. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that ha- was um, a challenge back in the 1960s for Black women um, trying to decide, okay, well, I know as a woman, I want to fight for my rights with the women's movement. But here I am challenged with the fact that I don't even have my rights as a Black person mm. in this country to, do- to have civil rights. And having to make the decision to march with civil rights. And there are a lot of black women who chose the civil rights path. One of the things that I, I saw as I was reading was that, you know, like thinking of civil rights, so you know the Black Panthers. Um, mm-hmm. The majority, though we don't see it in history books and things like that, the majority of that movement was undertaken by black women. But everything we see is like from the snapshots and stuff is black men. Um, The black men got the credit. Yes. 
but the black women were the ones that were carrying the movement and behind the black men were the black women, their wives mm-hmm. that were putting forth a lot of the effort. Um, but the ones who oftentimes get the credit are the black men, but that's typical for any type of movement. And, um, when it comes to being noticed for, um, any type of advancement. This happens with white women as well. Mm-hmm. The, the woman is in the shadow. So that lets us know that patriarchy is definitely a concern. Mm-hmm. It makes me very excited for Kamala Harris to kind of shatter some of those um, ideals that we have and like people, people in positions. It's now there's a, a man behind the woman as opposed to the other way around most definitely most definitely i think she says there's an awesome role model for many different women um for all these little girls growing up that's able to see a, a powerful woman of color in in office and um a supportive spouse who's mm-hmm. a man who's not intimidated by that mm-hmm. it's definitely something that we need to see more of in the the public eye Right. Okay. Um, and I think it's been a misnomer when it comes to black feminism as well, that, that men are excluded. Um, but that's what has um, really drawn me to black feminism throughout the years is that there's a strong stance on including men. We know that we have to include men in order to overcome white supremacy and mm-hmm. patriarchy. Uh, we have to have men as feminists. That's how we have to make change. Young boys have to be raised as feminists in order mm-hmm. to fight for the rights of women. So we have to have men involved in um, understanding feminist thought and supporting feminist thought in order for there to be overall change. So we can't do it without men. And for a lot of black women, we have men in our lives that we love, that we care about, that support us, that are respectful. So how are we going to negotiate those interactions that we have with these wonderful black men in our lives and hate them at the same time? Mm. That doesn't make sense. It's very true. It's kind of like, and I'm sure you can relate to this, over the past, especially 2020, that was just we knew about what it was like to be people of color in this country, but a lot of people finally opened their eyes last year. Um, Mm -hmm. And something that I noticed was that there was a lot of pressure on us people of color to be the basically go-to person of color for everyone to ask their questions to so and it was it's kind of like that with black feminism it's like well black feminists can't be the only one talking about black feminism just like when all of this is going on you don't expect black people to educate everyone white people need to um educate themselves and learn It, it it's not the responsibility of the um, marginalized to do all of the educating. Do the work. 
That's right. They can't do it by themselves because otherwise we would just all exist in our own little bubble. So just like um, you were saying, like young men, like your son, they have Mm -hmm. to be raised to be black feminist in order to help that movement. And he's well on his way. Oh, I bet he is. (laughs) Of course. So one of the things you said earlier, um, and it makes sense because most of what I've seen of feminism is, you know, of course, white feminism and, um, you know, like the stuff from the the 60s and it's glossed over in most history things that were given in public education. But you said, so obviously you've always been a black female um, and you've not always been a feminist and you've not always been a black feminist. So tell us a little bit more about how that changed for you, because obviously the, the stereotype is men hating. That's, that's what a lot of people think feminism is. So tell us how that Um, kind of transitioned for you. I think as I became more knowledgeable clinically about black feminism and its approach, um, from a social, um, a social work, a social dynamic perspective, mm-hmm. and doing that type of reading, and then applying feminism um, in counseling and working with marginalized individuals, understanding how systems impact your client, and being able to focus on the client's specific needs and making the social personal mm-hmm. from that theoretical perspective that's what really brought in my um, perspective that's one of the great things about um the counseling profession is that we get to bring theories and concepts to real life in a yeah. in a very unique way so that's exactly. great that you're able to apply that in your in your counseling approach. Most definitely. And then the, the work that feminists have done, just becoming more educated about the history of feminism, mm-hmm. the, the, the work that feminists have done in the communities with um, health clinics and working with the LGBT population and um, insurance that there's access to care, just the philosophy in general became more attractive. And as I began to do more reading and more research and and was drawn to other black feminists, Angela Davis has always been Mm -hmm. one of my favorite black feminists um, that I've been attracted to her work for many, many years. And then reading the work of Audre Lorde and Bell Hooks is always my favorite. And some of the younger black feminists like um, Brittany Cooper and um, I'm going to say her name wrong. Um, she's an African sister. Um, Toni Morrison is definitely mm-hmm. a black feminist. <clears throat> but um, a young lady, Kimanda Nagazi Adichie. Mm-hmm. Black feminist, never thought she was a feminist until she realized that um, 
she had to miss her family. Mm. But the thing about it, you, you don't realize that you're around feminism until you understand the perspective, and then you see feminists all around you. Um, I did a training um, at the VCA convention, the Virginia Council Association convention, two years ago with one of my residents in counseling. Um, we focused on men and mental health. And we talked about theory and practice and some of those things that we should be focusing on um, when working with men and boys in counseling. And one of the things I brought up was um, one of Dr. Um, Bell Hook's uh, quotes. And I talked about how my grandfather really was very much a feminist. Hmm. He taught me how to be a feminist. My grandfather helped raise me. Um, he taught me about becoming educated as a woman, having my own money, um, being able to own my own home and not really depending on a man, not tolerating abuse from a man. Hmm. And if I did, to be able to defend myself or be able to report it appropriately. He Definitely. was instilling all of these feminist views in me and he was very much a traditional black man who grew up in Jim Crow South, mm-hmm. who was not the most feminist man as a husband. But you know how sometimes as men age, there's a certain wisdom that comes along with them? Definitely. We see things differently. So he definitely raised me to be a feminist woman. And I had no idea until I did a lot of reflection. So you were kind of being um, brought up on principles and you didn't even know what it was at the time? No, had no idea. Okay. Had no idea. Was there like a specific season of your life where it became very like, oh my goodness, I need to learn more about this? It definitely did. Um, I may get a little emotional about it, but my grandfather raised me. I lived with my grandparents and my mother um, when I was very young. My mom was a teen mom and I lived with them most of my life. And I actually lived with my grandparents through high school. Um, And two years ago, my grandfather passed away. He had um, Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. So it became a little bit more important for me to spend a lot of time with him the year before he passed. And that time I was able to kind of remember who he was before he, um, he started to decompensate. Mm-hmm. That was also my process to grieve him. And I believe that's when feminism became more important to me because it really reminded me of the values that he instilled in me. Thank you for sharing that. No, definitely. Thank you. Thank so my you. Next... I'm, I'm very grateful. We're very grateful for that experience. But that's not traditionally how I, I hear a lot of women coming to the recollection or the acknowledgement um, that they are feminists. They're usually, you know, it's usually coming from a female. But that's mm-hmm. not how I experienced it. That's awesome. So my next question um, is kind of more current events and I'm sure you have a lot to say about this 
and I'm interested to hear your perspective. So obviously, in this past year, we've had a lot of, um, we've seen a lot, it's vicarious trauma, basically, of all of the black men being gunned down at the hands of law enforcement. Um, And so there's a lot of attention on that. And obviously, the spotlight is on injustice and all of that. But from a black feminist perspective, obviously, civil rights are civil rights. It's important, like, that attention needs to be there. And we need to be having these conversations. But if we kind of pivot a little bit and look at, okay, what do we hear about black injustice? It's usually black men, law enforcement, you know, Mm -hmm. social media kind of going viral. But if we only see that, that's also a a consequence of patriarchy, right? Because many, many black women are murdered at the hands of law enforcement and through racism every day um especially black trans women um you know that intersectionality there there are there's a lot of stuff going on that is not you know hitting the the front page of the news tell tell us more about the importance of explicitly raising awareness of the issues of that black women face well, it's, it's about that the gender currency um, that our society, not just our society, societies around the world have on men and boys. Um, they value men and boys' lives more than they value women. Mm-hmm. So it's not that the rates of men or that, that only men are being killed by the police and that deserves attention but women are also being killed and murdered by police Mm -hmm. every day but women also deserve the attention but women are not getting the attention in the media Mm -hmm. so organizations and platforms such as say her name have been very pivotal Mm -hmm. because if not the attention will never be shown on the women or, you know, you may hear a newscaster say, you know, this, this woman was killed, but then, then the focus is taken off that woman and it goes back to the men. Mm -hmm. But this is how our society functions. Mm -hmm. There've been so many black women. um, So when the campaign say her name became, um, really prominent they wanted to bring attention to women like Janisha Anderson and Rakia Boyd and Chantelle Davis and Shella Shelly Frey and um, Brianna Taylor and mm-hmm. Sandra Bland and all of these black women who were being killed by the police and no one had ever heard of them mm-hmm. because they were not out there in the media and, and it's frustrating because anytime any individual, I don't care what gender they are, if they were transgender, the media needed to put a spotlight on it because no one deserves to be killed in that manner. Mm-hmm. But it's that social currency that we put on the lives of men over women. That's the concern. 
Mm-hmm. Why is this life value? And and for people of color, if we we're saying that Black Lives Matter, <laughs> if that's what we're saying, Black Lives Matter, mm-hmm. then women's lives should also matter, and transgender individuals' lives should also matter. Everybody's life should always matter. It's not about uh, picking and choosing who mm-hmm. you want to represent. You know, a lot of people listening to this or could very much be like me who didn't really know much about the topic before hearing about it. Um, so what are some ways that I, a black man, um, the folks of color listening to this podcast, and also um, our Caucasian listeners, how can all of us get more involved in black feminism? So share some like tangible steps of you know, from a black feminist, what would you tell everyone else to do to get more involved? Um, first of all, with you with you having um, this beautiful baby um, that you are the father of, mm-hmm. that's a huge responsibility. Indeed. Um, so being a father... Everything that you're instilling in her, everything that she's seeing you do, all of that's going to influence her in being a feminist. So you supporting her, you encouraging her to do whatever she wants to do, and then also what she sees you do, mm-hmm. whether it's you being out, advocating you, whatever you say, whatever you do, and also how you treat her mom. Mm-hmm. All of that she's internalizing. So that's where you start at home. Mm-hmm. So you have to teach children all of these little things at home. Um, one thing that I do with my little one is um, I talk with him a lot about treating people fairly. Mm-hmm. And how is it when someone treats him unfairly? What does he do when he sees someone treating others unfairly? And how it's good character trait to step in and help others. Mm-hmm. Those are basic things that you can do at home with any aged kid. And even though he's a boy, he was always exposed to books about girls. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes naturally, because how children are socialized, we naturally um, raise them to head um, towards, you know, masculine things or binary. Feminine. Yeah. We're very gender neutral. Mm-hmm. One of his favorite things he likes to do is wash dishes. So he has dishes sets. He likes to have a little kitchen. He likes to cook in the kitchen. That's what he does. We're not going to not allow him to do that and push him towards trucks and cars. But that lets him know that you have these character traits that are about you that may not be seen as traditionally male, Mm -hmm. but it's okay because that's what you like to do. Mm -hmm. He has books about feminism. Um, I love the book um, by Chelsea Clinton called She Persisted. He has those books. 
Mm-hmm. Um, he has books about famous black women in history. Um, one of my most favorite books that I like for him to read is called A is for Activism. Mm. Read that book. It talks about um, activism and feminism and and treating people equally and all of those things about activism that's good. You need to know that. Um, when you hear children make comments about, that's for girls. Mm-hmm. What do you mean that's for girls? You need to sort that out as soon as you hear a child say something like that. Because yeah. that reinforces that patriarchy mm-hmm. and that toxic masculinity. All those things, you have to be very mindful what your child is doing and and what they're saying. Definitely, because like you said, patriarchy, um, toxic masculinity, racism, uh, transphobia, homophobia, etc. They're all taught because all taught. a young child doesn't, they don't know to say that's for girls until someone <laughs> has taught them that. Until someone does that. Mm-hmm. And, and it's not like they learn. Sometimes they don't even learn that at home. Sometimes they may learn it from daycare, from school, mm-hmm. from a lot of family members. From TV. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So you have to constantly unlearn. You have to undo stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I know the daycare center my son goes to, he picks up a lot of stuff that we don't teach him. Mm-hmm. So we're in a constant process of undoing. Like mommy and daddy do, do not believe in that. So if you hear so-and-so say that, that's not what mommy and daddy believe in because we're not teaching him um, that girls play with certain toys and boys play with certain toys mm-hmm. or girls can do this and boys can do that. No girls and boys can do the same thing. Yeah. So it starts from the time they're younger. You're raising a human being that's going to eventually become an adult. Mm-hmm. So that's how you really help in this thing called feminism. And then teaching others. Sometimes you have to be more aware of the things that you're doing mm-hmm. in your workplace with your friends. And then it can move into activism. Mm-hmm. What are some of those things I can do in my workplace to make it more gender neutral? Mm-hmm. What are some of those things, um, policies I can put in place to make sure that um, the women feel supportive within um, my organization? Are the men being paid more than women? Maybe we need to do something internally mm-hmm. to make sure that's not happening. Definitely. I think that's a great, um, the way you answered that question, I was I was like, well, what are some ways that I, a black man, or people of color listening, which are most likely adults and, um, you know, uh, Caucasian listeners, like, how can we get involved? But you said, well, it starts with the kids, because that's where... It, it can either grow or be, you know, um, uh, you know, patriarchy, toxic masculinity, racism, et cetera. That can be most, like you said, the unlearning is so much easier when mm-hmm. the exposure is low, right? And then if you teach at a young age to resist certain things that they're hearing or seeing or whatever they then get to teach other people around them and it's a ripple effect right but i think in the way that you answered it too is like okay well we have to teach the young people but expanding that to 
you know, most of the people that will be listening to this, adults also need to be unlearning things. We're, we're all, and as long as we're alive, we're in a, we're in a, a process of pruning and unlearning things and replacing it with something better, right? Right. And it may not be as comfortable, you know, checking your friend when they say something that's homophobic or something that's sexist, but at least they know where you stand. Definitely. And they know that it's inappropriate for them to say it around you. Mm-hmm. Um, but once you start doing these type of things, when it comes to sexism, homophobia, racism, oh, one of the fabulous things I bought for my son um, over the past few weeks, so I love books because children relate to books, there's visual, mm-hmm. and then there's a message inside. Um, I bought my son um, a book called Anti-Racist Baby. I have that. I have that for Maya Jane. Yes. I yes, love, yes. love, love that book. I love that book. It's so good. Ibram X. Kennedy. Yes. I mean, all the work that he's doing on anti-racism, we have to teach these babies. Mm. Because if you don't teach these babies now, I don't know what kind of world this, we're going to be in. Mm-hmm. But it starts from when they're young. Definitely. And they're going to be the ones that's out there doing the hard work. Yep. And we're setting it up for them. So we have to teach them from a young age because they're going to inherit what the situation we're currently dealing with. Right. And every little bit you do, it counts. It doesn't have to be this big thing. I think sometimes when people... When, when you talk about change and when you talk about advocacy, when you talk about social justice, when you talk about feminists, they, they think of this huge, big thing. It does not have to be a big thing. It can be mm-hmm. small little things, like all the things that I mentioned. But as being a licensed supervisor, I've had the privilege to work with a lot of women. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that I've learned in working with a lot of women, lack of confidence. A lot of women don't have the confidence to open up their own business, mm-hmm. to advocate for themselves, to request the money that they want when they go into a job. So I work with a lot of women and just say, okay, when you apply for this job, this is around about the, the amount of money you should be requesting. Mm-hmm. That's awesome this is where that you you're doing start. that. And if they don't give that to you, then you should deny that job. People have to be taught to, to know their worth. Exactly. Second nature. And and because we're taught to be nice. Women are taught to be nice. And um, don't ask for too much. Be humble. Put your head down. And we're not taught how to negotiate. Men are taught how to negotiate. Yeah, when men so are women, assertive, when men are assertive mm-hmm. and they're go-getters and things, it's like, oh, he's ambitious. He's industrious, you know. But if a woman is, you know, the same exact character traits, what do they call her? A bitch. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Well, I told the women I work with, I was like, embrace your inner bitch. Mm-hmm. Go in there yes. and negotiate and get what you want. Yes. You. They may think you're a bitch, but you're not a broke bitch. Right. <laughs> Nothing yes. worse than a broke bitch. <laughs> yes. Facts. 
So um, you actually kind of beat me to the punch on the next question. So um, I know you love your books and you gave us several great um, children's books. Um, And, you know, adults can learn a lot from children's books. Um, It doesn't have to be some super deep, thick volume, whatever. Like these books that like the anti-racist baby, I got so much from it as an adult. Um, And so these books that you're recommending just because they're children's book doesn't mean it's not something worth looking into. But for the adult listeners of this, what would, or to me, or, you know, what are your, let's say top three, like books that have been very pivotal in your awareness and development of black feminism? My number one favorite Bell Hooks, Ain't Our Woman. Mm. I've heard that one quoted a lot. Bell Hooks changed me to my core. I tell you, every time I read Bell, anything by Bell Hooks, um, I'm blown away. And, and there are certain like passages in her book that I just have to go back and read. Because I'm like, that was beat. I, I got to go. Um, and feminist theory from margin to center by Bell Hooks. Mm-hmm. Um, another one that really deepened my understanding of books of, of of feminism, Black feminism, from that perspective. Um, let's see. Um. There was another one. So you've done two, right? Yeah. Okay. Um, I know. It's so many. Another one. How many did you ask me for? For three. So we got two. (sighs) It's it's Um, tough. That's why I limited it to three. I was like, I'm not going to say give us a top five because that's like asking someone their favorite song. I know. But five would be good. Um, Audrey Lord. Sister Outsider. Mm-hmm. That's where the, the intersectionality, because Audrey was the deep sister. Mm-hmm. Black, woman, lesbian, all of those things. Mm-hmm. Her, she was just brilliant in how she viewed the world. She wrote about feminism, homophobia, sexual identity, sexism, class, all of those things. Mm-hmm. And I think this world that we live in, we have a lot to learn from Audre Lorde. Definitely. She passed away. She passed away way too soon. When I'm editing this, I'm definitely going to be jotting down these book titles for myself because I'm always looking for new I love a good memoir and I love like, Mm -hmm. like diving into someone's story. So I'm definitely going to check these books out because this, I guess, interview is kind of my introduction in a way to black feminism, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't stop there. And I think one of the things you touched on a second ago is that it doesn't have to be something super intense. Like to be a black feminist, I don't have to like leave this interview today and like take to the streets. Right. (laughs) And then, like, go hardcore, nonstop 
because usually in a lot of movements and things like that, people will do that and then they burn themselves out and then it's like they give up, right? So it has right. to be sustainable. Um, and so, like yeah. you said, it's little little pieces at a time, little, you know, checks and, hey, that was homophobic. Hey, that was sexist. Hey, that was racist, you know, and doing those little teachable moments because they, like we said with kids, it's a ripple effect. Exactly. It's, it's not this big thing um, that you have to go out and do. Okay. Well, I have learned a lot, and I also have a lot of questions that, you know, um, have kind of come up from this. So um, I will definitely be diving into some of these resources you've told us about. Um, so as always, uh, Dr. Roney, thank you so much for your time. Every time I talk with you, it's fantastic. I leave, you know, learning something new. Um, and I think... Um, the people who hear this will learn a lot and it will be very thought provoking. So at the end of this episode, um, what I'm going to try to do with every guest that I have on is kind of just give you a chance to plug everything that you're doing and, you know, kind of how to, you know, learn more about the, the services, your company, how people can contact you, that sort of stuff. So, um, share a little bit more about like uh inner self and uh how people can get a hold of you um for the different things you're doing um right well again my the name of my practice is inner self counseling and consulting llc um i have a new website that i never go on so bad Ooh, i need to check <laughs> that out um it is www.inner I-N-N-E-R-S-E-L-F dash counseling dot com. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Look, I'm, I'm reading it slowly. I'll be sure um, to put the link in the, the show notes as well. Please do. I'm like, am I reading that correctly? And um, it's a small mental health practice. I do provide counseling, but primarily focused on clinical supervision, consulting, and training. Um, and for the listeners who don't know, uh, clinical supervision is um, um, in order to become a therapist, you have to basically be taken under the wing of another therapist. So it's not just a, oh, I graduated and now I'm going to be a therapist. You have to, in Virginia at least, um, you have to go through a minimum two-year process of basically working under the supervision of another therapist who's seasoned in the field and like uh, Dr. Roney said before, she was one of my uh, clinical supervisors during my residency. So when she says she does clinical supervision, she's talking about she's basically using her experiences, insights, teaching the next wave of counselors. I just wanted to clarify that for someone who mm -hmm. may not know what that is. So we got and, your website. Um, yeah, and and I do have a Facebook page. It's NFL um counseling um and you can reach me there yeah okay well once again thank you so much for your time um thank you i will be sure to put um all of the links of everything we've talked about in the show notes um um so what, well, did you, what were your thoughts about black feminism as you were reading it it was exciting 
um, because what I remember, and I think it was a similar experience to yours, was that I thought of feminism as man-hating, right? Right. And obviously, I have a bias in that I am a male, right? So, mm-hmm. um, you know, if if I'm looking at it through the eyes of patriarchy, I'll be like, ah, I don't know if this is something that's, you know, um, that I need to invest my time in. If, if I was just thinking of it generally, right? So I don't know a lot about feminism beyond examples and obviously I support feminism and you know there are situations where someone's not given their proper due or be able to speak and you know I support every you know like like we said we want to work towards all lives mattering um so that was like a a base level like in my upbringing and everything like that but as I when you emailed me about it it's the first time that that um Um, intersection of black feminism triggered in my brain and so as I'm reading about it it was um, I'll send you the YouTube video I found a really good explanation of it it was using um, pizza to describe intersectionality so like white people is basically cheese pizza every menu is going to have a cheese pizza on it right because that's the majority and so thinking of like black a black female is kind of like a um supreme pizza right so it's a cheese pizza but it's got all of these toppings on it that people need to learn the nuances of um so i'll actually i'll link that youtube video into the show notes as well it was really concise really well explained um I do understand it from a perspective of being a person of color. Um, mm-hmm. But I also need to be able to empathize and advocate for someone who doesn't look like me. Um, and so it's important for me, you know, I get excited because I'm like, Ooh, I need to learn, you know, I need to, it's kind of like exercising a muscle. Um, mm-hmm. I can talk about being a black man all day because I've been one for 28 years, but Mm-hmm. My muscle of what it the experience of being a black woman is not as strong. So I need to strengthen right. that. So that's where that excitement comes from is, hey, there's something new to learn. I mean, and I love that you put it in context of like being a parent um, mm-hmm. because it's going to be really important. And there will be intersectionality for Maya Jane because she is going to be a woman but also mm-hmm. we've got the intersectionality of colorism mm-hmm. um and you know whatever her um sexual orientation is and all of that all of that's gonna play a role so i can't just be a feminist i have to be a um you know a biracial feminist i have to be mm-hmm. um and i have to teach her to um, embrace all of those aspects of her. Mm-hmm. So yep. we might just have to arrange her to hang out with your son since he's like five years ahead on uh, feminism training. And oh yeah, he's yes. already been trained on consent. Oh yes, <laughs> let him know. And you really, you really do. You gotta, you gotta teach that early. 
I I work primarily with teenagers and college age, you know, 20 to 30 somethings, right? And I'm that's like basically birth control and consent is like they're getting in it pretty much in every session whether it was on the topic or not. I'm just hey. Know this, <laughs> right? And so for a fi- like and people think, "Oh, they're too young to be thinking." That's when that's when they're most impressionable, like that zone of proximal development and like kids Mm -hmm. at this age, they can learn a second language, two and three languages, because Uh they're a a sponge ready to absorb everything. So it's never too young to to teach about these things. And he has autism. So Mm. those social cues, he doesn't necessarily know. And the I mean, a seven year old just got arrested because a child accused him of inappropriately touching him. Do I want my black boy to be arrested because he has autism and he touched a child's bottom? Mm-hmm. No. I mean, he may not understand that, but he has to understand that now as a five-year-old, you can't mm-hmm. do that. And even if you touch someone's hair, you can't just go touch somebody's hair. Oh. You have to ask them, is it okay for me to touch your hair? Yep. You have to understand people's personal space and mm-hmm. ask for permission. You just can't go up to people and touch them. And that's going to be an intersectionality for him, too. You know, being black, being a male, being a person with autism. That's right. And, you know, we all need, you know, just like like you said, we all need to be black feminists, but we all need to be advocates for um, neurodiversity. Yes. That's a whole nother topic. Yes. For the average, you know, the listener, this sound, this might sound overwhelming, right? Uh, now I have to be an anti-racist. I have to be a black feminist. I have to be, uh, you know, woke on neurodiversity and all of this stuff. It's none of us ever get to complete wokeness in any stretch of the yeah. imagination. I'm a black no. man and I'm not the wokest black man that, I could possibly be life is a journey (laughs) of growing and developing and learning and so these conversations are a starting point for a lot of us right that was a great question I've greatly greatly appreciated um your time can't wait for this episode to go up I know I'm excited yes okay well enjoy the rest of your evening um, you too. And I'm going to add some of these children's books that you told me about to my Amazon cart. And I will send you some more. Because Kyra's awesome. bookshelf is like completely packed. Yes. We have um, uh, Maya Jane um, d- obviously can't read yet, but she uses her books as toys. So she likes to chew on them. So we like hid them all like in closets. <laughs> so there's piles and piles and piles. But um, oh, God. I, she knows how to read. She she knows how to read. She's reading in her head. Yeah, reading with her reading. mouth. Mm-hmm. Yep. So she knows how to read. Yes. She just hasn't spoken them. How about that? Yes. I I hope you have a great rest of your weekend. All right. You too, Jonda. All right. Take care. All right. Bye-bye. Anchor is everything you need to make a podcast. And best of all, it's free. They offer creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor also distributes your podcast, 
so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts, and many more. Did I mention that you can make money from your podcast no matter the size of your following? Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. If you enjoyed this episode, you can support this podcast by buying me a coffee. The link is in this episode's show notes. Thanks in advance.